again. You know, I've heard this quote my entire life, and the older that I've gotten, I have seen it to be more and more true. And the quote is this, you are as close to Jesus as you choose to be in this very moment right now. Um, in churches, it's very famous and it's very popular to say, we want more of God, right? We want, we want to go deeper. We want to hear more about God. But the truth is, you are as connected to Jesus in this moment as you choose to be right now. Um, the truth is, as I have made the choice over the past few months to, to kind of declutter my life, and um, starting on Monday, my wife is helping me. For those of you that don't know, my wife does like some health food coaching, and she's been trying to convince me for almost our entire marriage <laughs> to eat better. And so finally, um, after a while, you know, men, what I'm talking about, after a while nagging, you're like, fine, woman, I'll do it, you know? Uh, that's not really how it happened. But <laughs> um, so after all this time, uh, starting tomorrow, I'm going to go on this kind of like this where I'm only eating healthy foods. I'm not drinking Cokes and like I'm, I'm probably going to die. So if I'm not here next week, you know what happened. Um, but here, here's the truth. As I've consciously started making different choices to declutter things out of my life, be on social media less and wake up earlier in the morning to connect and be with Jesus before my kids get out of bed and to start eating better, I've started noticing that I actually can make a choice in how much I'm actually connected with Jesus. I can have as much of Jesus as I actually want to have. And a lot of times we think that we just need some kind of word. We need to read something in the Bible that just charges something or it sparks something in our brain to go, oh, I just want to be closer to God. I would argue today that if you want to be closer to God, it's going to start with you making a few choices. It's going to come down to the fact that you need to make some decisions in your life. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Because I believe that there's people that are coming out of the summer where if we're just honest with ourselves, we feel like we want to move forward, but we feel like we don't have the energy because the wind has just been sucked out of our sails. You ever, you ever feel like that where you're just like, man, I want to move forward. I want to make progress. I want to better myself. I want to be more connected with Jesus, but I just don't have the energy. Show of hands. How many of you ever feel like that? Most of us. And here's the truth. I want to read a verse to you in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 16, and this is Paul talking. He said, may the Lord bless Oniphorus and all of his family because he visited me and encouraged me often. Now watch this. His visits revived me like a breath of fresh air. Um, actually, in the Greek, that translation translates as he helped me recover my breath. He helped me recover my breath. I have become convinced that people are living this way now. Where we're constantly living our lives where we feel like we're out of air. <laughs> we feel like we're out of breath. We're always anxious. We're always stressed we're always busy, and we never have enough time. We're burning the candle at both ends, and we wonder why we can't connect with Jesus. The truth is you have no oxygen left. You have no air left. So my heart for this morning is that by the grace and mercy of God, my prayer for you over this past week is that today that you can walk out of these doors and all you feel like is that Jesus just breathed life back into your soul. That Jesus just came in and said, and you walk out of here and you feel encouraged. And not only that, but you feel a spark of going, you know what? I can do this. I'm going to go back, and I don't want this just to be a, a relationship that I claim to have, but I want it to actually transform my life. 
The truth is, if you feel bored and if you feel stuck in Christianity, it's simply because you're not connecting with Jesus. You're simply not connecting with Jesus. There's this zone um, in the oceans. It's, it, people call it the doldrums, but it's actually called the intertropical conversion zone. And it's this narrow strip around the oceans in, 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 in the equator where the northern hemisphere spins one way and the southern hemisphere spins one way. And you get all these oceans that collide and they're spinning and there's this narrow strip in between all of them where there's zero wind, where nothing blows. Now before motors, if you were a ship and you got into that passage, you weren't getting out. Especially one of those big ships, it's not like you could paddle out. You were stuck there. There was no wind to get you out. If I had to argue today, I would bet that there's people that feel just like that. Maybe you came from one season of life where you felt like, man, I was connecting with Jesus. I was going to church. My family was growing. We were doing all these things. And then you wake up one morning and you feel stuck. (laughs) All of a sudden, you don't know where it came from, but your stress levels are through the roof and your anxiety is through the roof. And all of a sudden, you feel in this place that you don't know how to get out of, and the truth is you feel like you just need God to breathe some fresh air back into your life. The doldrums is a picture of many of our lives, where we've gone from one place to the other, and we arrive at this place where there's no wind, there's nothing going on, and sometimes we even feel like God's not there. (laughs) Do you know this? Like, it's okay for you to be honest about your relationship with Jesus. Do you know that it's okay for you to be honest with God? Like, God, I don't, I don't feel you. Where are you? What is going on? So here's what I want to answer this morning. What do we do when we feel like we're stuck in the doldrums, when we feel like we're stuck in this place where there's no wind? Like, we have no motivation for anything. You ever just feel numb? Like, you know what you need to do, but you're just like, yep, yeah, don't feel like it. <laughs> like, I know the choices and the changes that I need to make. And here's the dangerous thing. And and we see this more and more in our culture. Most of us know what we need to do to get unstuck. We just don't have the energy to do it. Most of us know the things that we need to do to make forward progress. We just don't have the willpower to do it. We're just like, "Eh, I'm okay here. And then we wonder why our relationship with Jesus grows stagnant. So here's what I want you to understand. There's four different stages that you go through when you're in this state of being stuck. Four different things. Number one, stage one, you start faking it. (laughs) You start faking it. You don't want anybody to know that you feel numb inside. You don't want anybody to know that you're overstretched and you're overwhelmed and you're stressed, so you start faking it. You want people to think that you still have it all together, right? Social media is a perfect depiction of this. It's a perfect depiction because we snap pictures of our best moments, right? Like, look how awesome my life is. Come on, you live with your mom and you play Xbox all day. Your life is not that good. Right? So, uh, social media, we snap all of our best moments and we put them forward and we hope to make other people jealous. Like, look what I get to indulge in, but it's not really our life. And the truth is, Christians are really good at this. We walk in the doors of the church, hello, hi, how are you doing? And then you go back into Monday and you feel deflated and you feel like you got nothing and you feel like God's not on your side and you feel numb and you feel stuck. And when you start faking it, here's the problem. You can't let anybody know that you're not doing okay because now you have given off the depiction that you're okay. 
right? And people have asked you, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. And now you have to lie over and over again to tell them that you're doing great because if they find out that you're not doing great, then they uncover the mask, right? See, when you start going through difficulty, we put a skin-colored bandage over our wound, and it's usually a smile. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm awesome. Life has been phenomenal. (laughs) And then you go home, and you're like, life is terrible right now. And then then you find yourself in this cycle that every time you're around the people that can probably help you the most, you're never yourself. So when you get into the doldrums and you feel numb and you're around this community, this church family, that these are the people that can help you, you don't present the real you, the person who you really are. And here's the beauty of the gospel, is when you are struggling, you don't have to fake it. Here's what I love about Jesus. You can fake it all you want around people, and they may not know the worst parts about you, but Jesus knows the worst parts about you, and he still loves you. It's crazy, right? And oftentimes, there's a trait that will go so far in our culture if you can practice it. And it's simply this, honesty. If you can just be honest and real with where you're at, you know that 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 translates better with people more than you faking it. Of just saying, hey man, no, life is not good right now. Life is, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. Listen, listen to what Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 6.14, he puts it this way. He says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Have you ever shared something with somebody and they kind of blew it off? (laughs) Ever had a moment where you were just being super transparent and you were just being open? You're like, man, here, okay, you want to know where I'm at? (laughs) And then they're like, let me pray for you. And then they walk away. What the heck was that, man? I was just like opened up my heart and you're like, Father God, be with them. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) Like, What? And and, and here's the truth. That's sometimes why in churches we don't open up because we've been hurt by people before. Can can I tell you something? And as a pastor, this is one of the things that just, it's a pet peeve, okay? People always tell me, well, you know, I'd love to go to church, but I've just been so hurt by the church. Can I tell you something? There's not a church that you will go to where you will never be hurt at. And here's what you have to anchor yourself in. People are broken and messed up and they will hurt you, but Jesus never will. He never will. And we're coming here, to get more in touch with Jesus, right? So at the end of the day, like you got to realize people are a mess, they're broken, just like you, and they're going to hurt you. But listen, we can't take like the past, I mean, if, you've, if you've ever dated and maybe you're married now, you can't take the past relationship that you had and then bring it into the next one and just think that the person is going to do the same thing over to you again. See, Jesus, it's a completely different story. He's, he doesn't hurt us. He never lets us down. Sometimes he causes us to go through some difficult things, but it's only because he loves us. So once you start faking it in the doldrums, in the numb place, you move to stage two. And stage two is this, you put it off. <laughs> so you get to this place where you're sick and tired of faking it, and you finally come to this realization in your mind where you go, okay, I need to do something about it, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> And we usually put it off, and we put it off, and we put it off because to do something about it is difficult. Or if you're putting it off, you've bought into this grand lie that time heals everything. 
Well, I'll just not talk about it right now. I'll just not deal with it right now. And, and here's the truth. Time does not heal anything. The Holy Spirit is the only person that heals anything. Time heals nothing. Here's what I've learned. As long as I let things stay in here with time, I, there's a few things that I've learned. I get bitter. <laughs> I get angry. I get frustrated. And I grow pretty cold. So I have to lean into this idea that, okay, God... The same, listen to this, the same power that resurrected God from the grave, we have access to. So it's coming into this place of going, okay, God, I can't keep putting it off any longer. Because the truth is, the more and more that you put it off, let me tell you something, it grows. The bitterness grows, the frustration grows, the sin grows, the anxiety grows, the stress grows. Some of our marriages are deteriorating because we keep putting things off. There hasn't been a breath of fresh air between you and your spouse in a long time. It's because we keep putting things off. Listen, sometimes I know it it hurts and sometimes let's just call it what it is. It just sucks to deal with difficult things. But the longer that we put it off, the longer that we're going to stay in these doldrums. Look what Hebrews 12, 15 says. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that so no bitter root grows up and causes trouble to defile many. What is the scriptures teaching us right here? It's saying, hey, don't put it off because that bitter root, it's just going to grow. See, when it's a weed in your life, it's easy just to rip it up. But when it's grown into a tree, it's a whole lot more difficult, isn't it? So it's this leaning into the Holy Spirit when he nudges us to deal with something. Okay, I cannot put this off because if I keep putting this off, I'm not pulling a weed from my heart. I'm I'm having to uproot a tree, a big tree. (laughs) I woke up Saturday... um, (laughs) And my, my kids were cleaning the kitchen, and Eli is taking out the trash, and he walks outside, and he goes, oh, my gosh. And you're like, oh, what, son? He's like, oh, my. He keeps saying it over and over, and I walk outside, and I'm like, oh, my God. A tree fell on my car. <laughs> Not the whole tree, a limb. It, it just knocked my mirror off, dented the hood a little bit. And you're like, And you know what it was? Lightning. I'm like, God, of all the places that you could have caused that lightning to strike, you couldn't have moved it over like a few more inches. <laughs> but here's what I've learned. There's going to be things in your life that are uncontrollable. That you can do nothing about And too many of us allow our days to be wrecked and ruined by things that we can't change anyway. And oftentimes, we allow those things to get to us, and it seats down into our heart, and we keep putting it off, and we keep putting it off, and we keep putting it off, and we keep putting it off. And instead of dealing with it, those things end up growing into all the anxiety and the stress and the depression and everything that we're dealing with. So once you move from stage one to stage two, you end up moving to stage three. 
And stage three is you give up. You give up. Say, marriage isn't worth it. It's too complicated. I'm out. Or maybe you have a situation where you just lose hope altogether or you think that it'll never change or you just resign to the fact that I'm just going to deal with this for the rest of my life because I've tried for so long and there's nothing that I can do. Job actually spoke about this. Job 17, verse 13. (laughs) This is Job. He said, where then is my hope? You ever felt like that? Okay, God, I know you told me to have hope, but where is it? I know you told me to like hold tight and stand firm, but where are you at? Job continues, he said, who can see any hope for me? Here's the truth. Have you ever noticed when somebody comes to you with a problem, the solution is usually pretty clear to you, but it's not to them? (laughs) You ever notice that? Like maybe you ever had like a friend that comes to you and is like, man, here's what I'm dealing with in my marriage. And you, and you see instantly with the problem. Well, if you wouldn't talk to your wife like that, she probably wouldn't be so mean. They don't see it though. And, and the truth is a lot of times we give up because we have blind spots in our life and we don't allow other people to speak into them. Here's the, here's the problem with pride. Oftentimes if you're prideful, you don't know you're prideful. <laughs> One of the greatest lessons that I've learned being young in ministry, realizing that I don't have a ton of experience, I've been doing this for 10 years now, but one of the greatest things that I learned in the beginning was the way that I'm going to grow is just learn to be teachable. (laughs) Resign to the fact that there's other older men and women that have been doing this a long time and I need to learn from them. But when you're young, what do you have? You're like, I know everything, right? I have a nine-year-old, Eli. He's actually really smart. And yesterday I was cooking and uh, he said, dad, can I help you? I said, sure, buddy, you can help me. And uh, we, we, it was in the morning and we're cooking pancakes. And so I'm mixing it up and I pour the batter in. And he's just looking at it. He said, okay, you need to flip it now, dad. I was like, what? So I was like, I finally, I flipped the pancake. He's like, oh, you left it too long on that side. I said, son, I've been cooking for like 20 years. Leave me alone. You are nine. <laughs> you know, go play with your trucks. That's what I wanted to say. But you ever have that person that feels like they know it all and they can never be taught? See, oftentimes we give up when we reach that place and we don't even realize it. See, if you've reached a place in your life where nobody can teach you anything, you're in a dangerous spot. Because oftentimes, here's the beauty of community, oftentimes there's other people in your circle that can actually see the issues that you're dealing with and oftentimes they have the solutions if you will humble yourself and just be teachable to allow them to speak into your life. Because when it's you, you can't see anything. Oftentimes we don't know that we're, that we're yelling or we're getting angry or we're prideful or we're all those things. So once you reach stage three, you finally give up, then you reach stage four, and this is a dangerous place to be, you you die. What do I mean by that? It's people who look good on the outside, but they can't take it anymore, all the things that are going on in here, so spiritually we just die. Mentally, we check out. Physically, we check out. 
You ever see those people and maybe you feel like you're becoming that where it's just like this shell that kind of operates just to survive, just to get by, but there's no life in here? Can I tell you something? Wherever you're at in your life, that, that's not God's design and purpose for your life. Like he wants us to live life to the fullest. He wants us to be full of life. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9 puts it this way. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. You ever been there? Okay, God, I feel like I can't take any more. Far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. <laughs> Indeed, our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Paul's saying, like, I have, I've had enough, God. He needed a breath of fresh air. See, I think far too long people blame their grim circumstances on, oh, it's just a season. (laughs) The devil is really attacking me in this season. Can I tell you something that has been so powerful for me? Do you know you have a choice to leave that season? Do you know you don't have to stay stuck in that season? How long is your trial going to be a season? Like, how long do you want winter to last? You can actually make some choices that are going to change that season. See, the reason we stay stuck, you have to understand this, is because we choose to. As I said in the beginning, you can have as much of God as you want to. The same power that is available for me, the same power power that is available for anybody else that's available to you, you want to get unstuck, if you want to get out of that place, you have to make a choice, listen to me, to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Guys, girls, you remember going back to when you were first dating your spouse? Do you remember like the love that you had? Like what you would do anything, right? I remember my wife and I, um, at the time, I was living in Lafayette when we were dating, and she was living in Jennings. And I mean, we would, I would drive, I'd go see her, stay up super late, come back. I'd get back in Lafayette at four in the morning and then have to be at class at six o'clock. And it was just what we did, right? Because we loved each other. You go out of your way because you love this person, you're trying to win this person, you want their affections. And the truth is, if we're just being honest, some of us feel stuck because we, we've lost our first love. That feeling that we first felt when we fell in love with Jesus, when he captivated our heart in the beginning. And see, every single day of your life, it's chasing that down. Like, God, I want to know you more. We have a choice to make. And some of us, the things that are keeping us stuck and I know you've heard me talk about this a lot, and it probably sounds like a broken record by now, but I think that it's one of the number one things killing our spirituality and culture. It, for me, it's why I've drastically cut down on my social media intake. I found myself spending way too much time on it, or getting on in the first five minutes already being angry in my day, Right? already being frustrated, already being stressed out. I'm like, where is this coming? It was coming from a lot of that. 
I'm just absolutely convinced of this, and this may sound like cliche-ish or whatever, but if you could wake up in the morning and instead of grabbing your phone and diving on social media, but saying, okay, God, these first five minutes I'm going to connect with you, it would change the entire outcome of your day. Because the things that you take, the, the moment you step out of bed, is, uh, it's going to determine the course of your day. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Like if I jump on in the morning and I'm scrolling on Facebook and I'm seeing death and people being angry at each other and people bickering and fighting and gossiping and all those things, what do you think is getting inside of me in the first five to ten minutes of my day? See, I've learned this raising kids. You have no hope (laughs) in raising great kids until you change their heart behavior. Until you get right here. And as a parent, I'll be honest with you, I, sometimes I just want behavior modification. Like, I'm going into Walmart, son, and you better not act like a fool. <laughs> you know, like, when we get out of this car, it's going to be bad when we get in. Any, any parents know what I'm talking about? Like, the kid in the can, like, you're checking out, and you're kind of like, no, son, you can't have it. I'm going to kill him when I get out of here, Right? <laughs> Most parents want to modify the behavior. We threaten, we bribe. Son, if you just stay in bed, I'll give you as much candy as you want when you wake up in the morning. We try to force them anything to make them behave, right? Here's what I've learned, too. We genuinely, let's just be honest, parents. We genuinely want our kids to behave because we don't want them to embarrass us. Right? <laughs> It's more for us than it is for them. Don't make me look like an idiot. (laughs) Right? But if you never get to the heart, listen, you still lose. You still lose. And I've seen this over and over, especially when I was a youth pastor. You see this over and over where you had these kids that were so restricted in their home. And when they finally got out of their home, they're like, oh my God, I'm about to go crazy. Right? Because parents, they could keep them in line as long as they were underneath their house. But see, if you, can, if you can get to the heart of son, okay, listen, this is why we act this way in a store. Or this is why you get a spanking. I'm not just spanking you because I'm angry at you. These are the choices that led you to this place. This is why this is about to happen. You know, over the summer, we kind of, Claire and I tried to test this out. All of our, our younger kids, the, the four younger ones, we, they have a bedtime, and the two older ones, Eli and Isaac, we sat them down at the very beginning of the summer, and we said, listen, it's summer, you don't have school, as long as you can be responsible, you can stay up as late as you want. And they're both like, what? I said, but, but here's, here's the only reason that this is going to happen. Here's the, the chores, here's the responsibilities that you have. As long as you're doing those things, you can have free time. If those things start slipping, then you get that taken away from you. Because that's how the real world works, isn't it? You don't pay your bills, what happens? You get kicked out of your house. You get your lights turned off. That's what happens. And it was this fascinating thing that happened in the beginning. Like the first two nights, they're both up. Uh, we walk in the living room, and they're, <laughs> they're on the couch in the living room like, I'm staying up till midnight, and their eyes are like this big, trying to stay up, but they're halfway falling asleep. And what was interesting, as we kind of coached them and just helped them through it, over the next few weeks, they were going to bed at 9 o'clock all on their own. And, and look, we don't do it perfectly. They're not perfect in that. But that was something that they, it clicked inside of them. Oh, this is why we do this. 
See, kids whose hearts have never been changed go wild when they go to college because they've been restricted their whole life, right? You can't get them to behave, but if you get to their heart and they listen to this, parents, and they want to pursue God, you've won. You can't make a child pursue God. You just can't. So it's a constant of, listen, this is why Jesus is important. This is why a relationship with Jesus is important. But see, why do I say all this? Because that's where we have to get in our relationship with Jesus. We're not, listen, we're not serving God because we're trying to score points and we're trying to get, a, get out a hell free card, right? It's ultimately coming to this place of we see the benefits of having a relationship with Jesus and ultimately we serve God because we want to because of everything that he's done for us. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, says this. This day I call heaven and earth and witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, I love this last line. Now, choose life. We make a choice. One of the most beautiful things that God has given us is our free will to make a choice. We have a choice between life and death. So real quickly, I want to show you three different choices, three different expressions that you can make today. Number one, you can hear a sermon like this, and number one, you can say, well, I need to go do more, right? I need to go do more. You think your problem is that you need to do more, you need to read more, you need to pray more, you need to serve more, you need to give more, or you can receive what has already been done for you. (laughs) That's two totally different things. So the beauty of the gospel is not working harder, doing more. It's just receiving what has already been done for you. Jesus accomplished everything that you need at the cross. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it a beautiful thing that our sins have been paid for and forgiven, past, present, and future? So it's literally receiving that of going, okay, God wants life for me. So it starts there. There's always this pull, though, to receive the first choice, right? Well, I just got to do more. How many of you, just show of hands, if we're just being honest, how many of you feel better about yourself when you're performing well, (laughs) right? It's just this natural human thing, like, well, I read my Bible seven days this week and prayed every single day. I feel pretty good about myself. And then you go into the second week and you miss reading the Bible for two days, and you're like, man, God must be mad at me. And we get into this cycle But it's not about how much you read. Listen to me. It's about spending time with the one you read about. (laughs) It's about carving out some time in your day to say, God, this is for you and nothing gets in the way of this. Well, Zach, I don't have time for that. You have time to watch TV every night. Listen, I've just learned this. We make time for the things that we want to make time for, regardless of how busy we are. We're not that busy. Because I can promise you this, there's probably a ton of things in your schedule that you can cut off. I, I read this uh, while, while I was with my dad on vacation, this statistic. It says the average American, and this is not just teenagers, this is adults, okay? The average American wastes four hours every single day on social media or watching TV. Four, four hours. And we say we don't have time. Listen, we have 
tons of time. We will make time for the things that are most important to us. So it's not about doing more things. It's about carving some time out in your day to say, God, this is for you. The second choice. We can get into this rhythm of, well, I've got to try to get God's approval. Have you ever felt like that? Like, I've got to feel like, God, do you approve of me? Do you approve of what I'm doing down here? Is this enough? The truth is, when I was younger, serving the Lord, I always thought God was mad at me. (laughs) I grew up thinking God was kind of like the Wizard of Oz type God. Remember the Wizard of Oz, Oz, who hid behind the curtain? Like, he knew everything about life, but he didn't really want to be involved in it. And the only time that God wanted to really be involved in my life when I was making him proud when I was approved. But the beauty of the gospel is this, you can receive God's love simply for who you are. Because he knows what you did this week and he still likes you. (laughs) He knows everything about you and he still loves you. Most of us are wasting and spending our days trying to earn God's approval. And if only you could see God just going, you don't need, I already love you. I already approve of you. Maybe he doesn't like some of the things that we've done, but the truth is he loves us no matter what we've done, no matter who we are. Isn't that the essence of the gospel, Romans 5, 8? (laughs) But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Well, what? While we were still sinners, he died for us. So listen, I know this is simple, but this is the essence of the gospel. God died for you when you didn't have it all together. When you were a mess, when you were a wreck, he said, I love you enough to die for you right now. He didn't wait and say, okay, I'm going to wait to get your act cleaned up, to get some things in order then we'll make this transaction happen. He said, no, right now, for the person that you are right now. The third choice that we have to make, two things, we can obey out of duty or we can obey out of delight. Let me explain the difference. If we're obeying out of duty, this is how we serve God. Growing up, I thought the more painful the church service was, the more points I got with God. Like, oh my God, this dude is so boring. Just hurry up and wrap it up. I'm starving, (laughs) right? I thought that's why you had to kneel and pray because it was just like, this is penance, right? For like, I've just, the more painful the service, the more happy God is with me. I not only didn't like church, I didn't like Christians. I didn't like Christians because they're singing, they got the joy of the Lord, but they looked like the devil, (laughs) Right? I used to think Christians were mean because they wanted to sin, but they just couldn't. (laughs) I want to do all these things, but I can't. (laughs) And so this is what invokes this lifestyle of obeying out of duty, right? I'm going to show up to church. God, check it off. I'm here. Haven't missed a Sunday. (laughs) Been reading my Bible. I'm doing all these things. Is this enough? Are you approved? See, that's obeying God out of duty and you don't really understand the essence of the gospel. Honestly, the Bible is hard and you can't do it unless you're obeying out of the light. So what do I mean by that? John 14, 15 says it this way. If you love me, you will obey what I command. 
Now, in this verse is two different choices. I want to show it to you real quick. Every one of you are on one side of that comma. So some of you heard it this way. If you love me, you heard that part. If you love me, this is how, how you heard it. If you love me, you will do something for me. If you love me, you will prove. But then some of you heard it. If you love me, you'll do what I command you to do. Meaning this, because I love Jesus, because he sacrificed for me, because he gave his life for me, this is why I serve him. Not because I have to, not because I'm forced to, but because I want to. It's the idea of sitting down at a restaurant and somebody pays your tab and you leave there just feeling this overwhelming sense of like gratefulness that you want to go back and do it for somebody else, right? Because you were delighted that somebody else paid your tab. And I think that for many of us, as I bring this to a close, that the Lord is asking us today, do you love me? Do you love me? We can say, well, I go to church, I tithe, and I give to the poor. But the truth is, those things will not keep you out of the doldrums. They're not going to keep you out of the space where the wind does not blow. The truth is, it's returning back to the God that we fell in love with in the very first place. You remember when you first encountered God? How you felt? Maybe for many of you, it was here in this church when God first rescued you. What, man, what did that feel like? When you looked at the past and you looked at your life and you looked at all the decisions and the choices that you made and you felt this overwhelming sense of, I don't deserve this kind of love. And this father steps into your life and he rescues you. God's saying, man, return back to that. It's not about all the external things that we do. The the truth is all the external things will come as long as we allow God to change us from the inside out. See, Matthew 7, 21 through 23 puts it this way. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? Now watch this. This is the whole key part of this text. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. What's God saying? He's saying, you could do all of those things in my name, but if you never had a relationship with me, it was for nothing. Can I tell you something? That's all God is after. He wants you. He's a good father that just wants his son. He wants his daughter. He wants to connect with you. He wants to commune with you. And listen, out of that love is going to foster all the actions that are released out of your life. Because when you realize that you're unconditionally loved, regardless of who you are or what you've done, it compels you to do things that you thought you were never capable of doing. See, if I were to give you the essential of being a joyful Christian, it would simply be fall in love with Jesus every day. Fall in love with Jesus every day. And the choice is ours. We can choose life or we can choose death. And it simply begins with falling in love with Jesus. So I want to bring it to a close with just asking you a simple question. We have a choice to make today. We can allow something 
like this to just be another sermon that we hear and we can revisit our Monday like we do every single Monday. Or we can make a choice and say, okay, God, what do I need to do about this? Are there things in my life that I need to cut out? Are there things in my life that I need to stop? Are there friends that I should not be hanging around? Are there things that I should not be watching? Am I indulging in something too much? It simply comes down to what are the roadblocks in my life that are keeping me from connecting with Jesus? And then we start making those decisions to push those things out of the way. Because at the end of the day, we want to connect with God. And the truth is, you don't have to make it all like ceremonial. <laughs> like connecting with Jesus is super simple. God, I'm here. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, but I want to connect with you. It starts just simply by talking with him. And the beauty of it, he'll lead you and guide you. And the hopes in all of this is that you'll get connected into a family, into community, into a church that can guide you and help you and push you along the way.